When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! This is your typical radio ad while eating a Crunch Bar. This is Automatic of Auto's Used Cars. This weekend only, we're having a whale. Bring the kids. See for yourself. It is huge. You're going to make a big splash. No other dealer can say they have a whale like this. When things sound dull, turn up the fun with Crunch. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Hello, I'm Kellyanne Taylor and this is the Radio Times podcast. Every week I sit down with a celebrity guest from the world of TV or film to talk about their lives both on and off screen. To my fellow TV enthusiasts, I hope you enjoy listening. For our Radio Times podcast Christmas special, I am joined by the one and only comedian, actor and screenwriter, May Martin. Their first foray into stand-up came age 30, and by 15, May had dropped out of school to pursue comedy full-time. They relocated to London in their early 20s and made a name for themselves on the British comedy circuit. With two Netflix specials under their belt, they've also conquered the world of television with their series Feel Good, which May stars in alongside Charlotte Ritchie. It's a fictionalised comedy drama that tenderly explores queer relationships and draws on May's own experience with drug and alcohol addiction. In this festive episode, we discuss how May spends their big day, why English people's friendship groups are impenetrable, and what Christmas song they would be. Plus, we discuss what the best part of a Christmas dinner is, what part to avoid, and the worst Christmas present they've ever received. May Martin, welcome to the Radio Times Christmas special. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to hear your accent. I miss England so much. I listened to a few podcasts and did uh, some thorough research and obviously discovered that you lived in London for a big old chunk of time. Do you miss it? I do. I I miss, I think at the time that I left, I was feeling so vitamin D deficient. It was at the end of the pandemic. And so I was really ready for like, you know, bright Californian sun. Yeah. But then now as time goes on, you know, and especially around the holidays, I miss the cozy British pubs and I miss my friends. But um, yeah, I spent my whole 20s there, 12 years I was there. um, And I loved it. 
It's so funny that you say that about the pubs because um, uh, one of my best friends moved to New York last year and she said, girls, the one thing I, I can't quite hack about America is is the pubs, the pub yeah. scene. It's yeah. just not the same. I know there's there's bars, but they have kind of moody bartenders and uh, everybody's cool. And uh, I mean, I guess <laughs> yeah. there's uh, there's like dive bars, which are which are a nice atmosphere. But yeah, I really I miss a pub quiz. You know, I, I was yes. I had a week. I had a pub quiz team that was very, very good. How do you fare on a pub quiz? Are you, oh, are you a strong candidate? Absolutely. Yeah, it's I take great pride in it. Yeah, it's useless knowledge that doesn't apply anywhere else in life but like i memorized all the countries in the world um i spent during the pandemic a few months with my friend we memorized 197 countries and we started on most of their capitals and flags so i don't know if that's diagnosable like (laughs) that (laughs) level of (laughs) but you know we wanted to win well do you know what hats off to you uh let's kick off firstly talk me through this is our kind of opening question. Set the scene. What is the view from your sofa at home? So I want to know your living room setup. Oh, great question. Well, I actually just moved, but so I, and I still have my old place. So I, I, I have a place in sort of East LA where I have an amazing view from my living room of like the hills and the the Hollywood sign, and I, I feel starstruck every time I look out my window like sort of that's very cool yeah uh but at the moment then now i've moved to kind of suburban uh <laughs> land and um the view from my window is my broken fence because i have this beautiful gate and then the moving van just drove directly into it and just cracked all the concrete and just exploded my my so now there's caution tape it looks like a crime scene every time i come home <laughs> it's like quite eerie are you a big telly fan what do you enjoy watching Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, where do I start? Imagine if I said, no, I don't watch TV. No, it would it would be a very quick podcast. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. well, I watch um, Taskmaster. Obviously, I've watched every season. It's the best show in the world. It's the best show in the world. It's like a warm hug. Yes. It's a bulletproof format. It doesn't matter who's Mm -hmm. on it. It brings out the best and the worst in people in the best way. And those guys are so funny. Uh, Greg and Alex. Um, so that I watched Ghosts, uh, or, which is ending, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. I think they're doing a Christmas special, and then that's goodbye, old pals. Love it. It's again like a warm hug. I think there's a theme here. I'm watching stuff that's sort of not. I watch a lot of true crime, though. Having said that, I watch a lot of true crime documentaries. I'm really into the Squid Game reality show at the moment on Netflix. Oh, I'm not convinced. Really series begrudgingly because i was very stressed out by it you know like, yeah. like palms were sweating the entire time yes so i now think surely that doesn't carry into the challenge have you have you tried no you gotta you gotta try it's it's because i was skeptical as well and uh it's like masterfully edited and i love a reality show but i, I don't love just people getting drunk and yelling i like people push to their limits moral dilemmas moral quandaries physical <laughs> challenges survival things like that and this is um really well done so i'm watching that and i watch a lot of survivor which i know joel Dahmer is now hosting the uk yeah. version yeah yeah they they brought it back so is it does it do quite well in america oh my god kellyanne you have not there's been <laughs> 45 seasons i've watched everyone uh it's the king of all shows it sounds like you've got a lot of comfort TV, like television that you'll return to time and time again. Yes. Outside of that, 
I, I loved Severance. I watched a lot of Severance. Um, Love and Death there was this really good series I saw recently. Um, and then I got into when, living in England. I was, you know, X Factor every week when my <laughs> uh, when I first moved there when my grandma was alive. She's not alive anymore, but we watched. You know, we had a, a serious viewing schedule of like Strictly, X Factor. <laughs> yes. Um, what else? The rounds, like the Saturday night rounds. Yeah, Bake Off, um, MasterChef. Like it's a full time job. There's so much good British telly. Yeah, and it's always on. Prime yeah. time. Why not? Why not? Do you have anything that you is a, a TV turn off? Something that you think? Yeah, okay, that that kind of content's not really for me. Hmm. Yeah, I don't like anything too. Well, sometimes I have a hard time watching comedy because I get so in my head about what I should be doing differently, and like I can't relax, and um, I can see the mechanics of it too much. So I love, I love reality TV, and I love like a sort of mystery thriller or drama, like a bingeable thing. Um, and then I, but yeah, ghosts I find I really can watch because it's so outside of my skill set to write that it's so full of jokes the joke ratio is so amazing and it's so british that it's like different enough that i can really relax and just let it wash over me and and i know all my friends are in it so i like to watch them it's so interesting that you say that because something that i've noticed when i've spoken to comedians is this kind of reoccurring theme of perhaps not watching themselves or being unable maybe not uh kind of specials and things like that where they're, where they're trying to critique their own performance but things like seeing themselves on panel shows loads of comedians have said i can't watch that because i just watch and see the like the jokes i should have made or what oh, i was yeah. trying to do and how it didn't land do you feel that or are you able just to sit back and enjoy I haven't watched my own stand-up special after the edit. I did the edit and then I haven't watched it. The, I had a recent one on Netflix. And then I, I did a show called Feel Good that I haven't watched really since it came out. And I, but I watched it a lot in the edit, you know? And mm-hmm. then you have to kind of let go of it. But I, I was able to watch Taskmaster just because I loved the show so much. And I, yeah, and I wanted to see everyone else. And I, I just, and my dad became obsessed by it and he, watches it on on youtube in canada and um <laughs> he made this incredible greg davies puppet that i i gave as one of the prize tasks i gave this puppet and um my dad was so honored that his work was showcased on uh, on taskmaster i was at a radio times event uh, a couple of weeks ago and greg davies was there and um and Alex Horn and I'd, I'd never met them or, or spoken to them and instantly I thought I suddenly see what everyone goes through on Taskmaster which is this almost like desperate need and desire to to please this man that I've never met and seek his like drastic approval. I, I know I was shocked by that because I, I feel like I've met a lot of people and <laughs> yeah I've you know I've seen all of Taskmaster, but I wasn't expecting to be that starstruck. And suddenly when I, when I, he's so tall and charming and confident and funny. And I, I be, he became the most famous person in the world to me. As soon as he walked in the room, I was like, Oh my God. And then just desperate to find like a good rapport with him on the show. And yeah, but they're yeah. such sweet guys. Thank God. They've got presence, but they're also, I mean, it's like a real kindness, which, yeah. I mean, again, lots of people say that about panel shows in general. Sometimes it can be all very kind of sharp elbows and, that, and that's kind of been the environment that's fostered. But on Taskmaster, it feels like such a far cry from that. It looks like everyone's having a really good time. Yeah, I think they really are. I can't, I would, I, I can't like elbow my way into a conversation. <laughs> so it's nice in Taskmaster that everybody has their little allotted moment 
you know, where Greg addresses yeah. them directly. And <laughs> I, my, um, yeah, my friend Charlotte Ritchie did it before me. And I think it was airing when we were filming Feel Good or something. And, and, and I, she was just agonizing over watching herself. But she described it as being so much fun. Uh, yeah, I had to do it. Yeah. Um, okay, this is our Christmas special. So can you talk me through your festive traditions? Well, I'm going to go British. I'm going to sort of refer back to my... Because when I was a kid, I used to spend every Christmas in London because my, my family was there. And we would always... You know, this is back in VHS days, and I would always watch Eddie Izzard and her specials, and uh, and French and Saunders tapes, and and French and Saunders Christmas specials were huge for me. And then, yeah, that sort of continued. I, I mean, the last few years I was in England, there were some great French and Saunders specials. So that's sort of my my favorite thing. What else? I mean, Blackadder Christmas specials. I think. You know, rewatching The Office Christmas specials. England is the yeah. best. It's not really a thing in North America, the Christmas special. And it's really magical. In LA, yeah. um, wandering around, what's the vibe like? In general, very strange and especially <laughs> strange at the holidays because it sort of feels a bit like the Truman Show. And and people do decorate their houses. And then you've got palm trees and you've got fake trees. And, and I went to this um, sort of kids event. Uh, with a child I went with a five-year-old and um, it was like a winter wonderland it was called and and they just desperately tried to kind of mimic they had a linoleum floor like a plastic floor and the kids could skate on it in their socks and it was like oh this is so sad and they had um, plastic snowmen <laughs> and then the palm trees everywhere so yeah I do I miss the coziness of like the wind and the willows yeah. I used to go in England to see the wind and the willows play at the national when I was a kid um and it was so, so brilliant. Yeah, it's so good. What does the big day look like for you? Are you uh, pajamas all day, big lunch? Is that a thing in LA? I don't know. This is my first Christmas that I'm actually staying in LA. Usually I go back to Toronto uh, with my family and then it really depends on my parents' moods, what we do. My dad likes a big traditional roast and uh, and then sometimes we go off piste, well, you know. We'll do one time we had sausages that was that was strange instead like instead of instead of foul i want to say foul instead of chicken. yeah um but yeah we you know we play games we play poker and uh my parents are really good at poker and they just take all our money and it gets really vicious the table chat is very cutthroat but that's sort of how we connect the four of us uh my brother and my mom and my dad but it's pretty small nuclear family so we kind of Sometimes we watch Lord of the Rings, you know, we try and nice. agree on something. Usually, um, <laughs> usually my, my dad wants to watch The Princess Bride or Mighty Boosh or Lord of nice. the Rings. And my mom wants to watch um, sort of an old rom-com or something. But we usually, sometimes it's like a really depressing war documentary, but we, we agree on something. Okay, I want to take it back to childhood. So you grew up in Toronto. Yes. And I wonder, what's your first TV memory ever? Oh, Pee-wee's Playhouse. Yeah, which didn't really make it to the UK, but Pee-wee Herman, you know, Pee-wee's Big Adventure was the film, but there, there was a TV show in the 80s called Pee-wee's Playhouse. And this, it was Paul Rubens and uh, this bizarre character who had this magical kingdom. And I used to wake up every morning and watch it and even if my parents were still asleep I would go to the fridge and get some cheese and I would sit and eat cheese and watch Pee Wee's Playhouse that's probably my first yeah 
That's beautiful. Was TV watching ever kind of a family thing? Well, in England, there were a lot of group, there was a lot of group stuff. Well, yeah, in England, we would all get together and watch the Crystal Maze or things like that. Uh, And then, yeah, what else did we watch as a family? Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we all watched. (laughs) Nice. Um, Survivor, we all watched and would talk about. And then... Yeah, but no, I guess we we have pretty different tastes. My brother was always wanting to watch anime or kind of Dragon Ball Z and Pokemon. And I, I always wanted um, some sort of highly charged teen drama. Yeah. What were you like as a young person? A young May, how would you describe yourself? Well, how old are we talking? Let's say, uh, let's start with you as a child. So primary school May. Okay, primary school May, I'm sort of like Dick Van Dyke. Like I'm I got like a little like waistcoat on. I've got little leather shoes and maybe like tartan trousers and a little mushroom cut and I'm always kind of trying to tap dance or be like, "Well, hey, how's everybody doing?" Like always trying to sort of put on a show. Extroverted, really geeky. Um yeah, really into comedy. And then puberty hits and I get very sullen. I grow my hair out. I, I start wearing like sort of f- like polystyrene platform shoes. And uh, <laughs> there's a couple of excruciating years. And then I've been just slowly, <laughs> since then, I've been slowly trying to get back to my child self of Dick Van Dyke. Well, Dick Van Dyke is just such a, of such a kind of clear image of him in my head. For somebody to go into comedy, I think it requires a, a certain personality tight and I think all comedians are very different and that's why there's so many different styles but I think there is something there that unites people as to why they especially stand up do do you think that's fair yeah I think there's a there's a couple of ways you can I think for some people it's like being a genuine fan of comedy and and um wanting to be part of it all and then for some people it's like a deep chasm of longing for approval and kind of a weird (laughs) chip on your shoulder I think for me it's a blend of those two things because I I really I really am still just a massive comedy fan I still go on my nights off I still go and watch comedy and I I love it so much um so I like to think it's for the love of doing it and less about the uh the gaping chasm (laughs) okay so tell me about how you got into it so think I want to know kind of you were how old what was the first gig like were you any good naturally did you kind of have to develop a persona I started when I was 13 so I I did um improv comedy classes and then I was doing sketch comedy and yeah I mean I was right in the midst of puberty acne braces greasy hair often in my oh man just I was a real grotesque yeah, and too. um yeah yeah and just yeah, it's probably, fine though it's, <laughs> everyone goes through it yeah and talking about my teachers and stuff that's sort of when I started the first time I went to a comedy club I was 10 or 11 and my mom took me and I was wearing my waistcoat full Victorian nice. child and I sat in the front <laughs> and uh the headliner got me up on stage because it was very strange that there was a kid in the audience and he made me be like his ventriloquist dummy and he was making me say <laughs> like filthy things and I was opening my mouth and my afterwards my mom was like that must have been so traumatic why did I bring you here but I was like I'm hooked I gotta get back up there 
I got, I got to be someone else's mouthpiece for a sec. But that, well, that's so interesting because 13 is so unbelievably young. Reflecting on that period of your life, I mean, to get up on a stage at 13 years old and to have the confidence, you must have been quite mature in some ways. I don't think so. I think I thought I was, and I, I don't think I was mature at all. And I, I don't know why I thought it was an appropriate thing to be doing or why <laughs> I, I was given like a very long leash, but I was so passionate about it and stubborn. And I loved, I, I think really, I felt like an outsider at school. I probably felt sort of, I was probably super queer and trans. I didn't know what the hell was going on. And then I found this adult community where everybody was being really celebrated for their differences and people were very mm. self-deprecating and I got a lot of attention early because of how young I was and that was pretty addictive to have, have that kind of pedestal. Um, very addictive. And then that the harsh reality when you hit 18 and you're no longer the, the youngest person, you're like, Fuck, I, I, oh, I got to write some jokes. Yeah. Your skin refuses to be defined by age. That's why Agency designed Future Formula, a personalized anti-aging formula prescribed by a dermatology provider to treat fine lines, wrinkles, dark spots, and more. Agency has clinically proven ingredients like tretinoin, which is up to 20 times stronger than over-the-counter retinol. Future Formula by Agency. Get your first month free at withagency.com. That's W-I-T-H-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. $4.95 shipping and handling subject to consultation. Subscription required. Cancel anytime. This episode is brought to you by Dove. You use all the right skincare products for your face, but your body has been missing out. With new Dove Serum Body Wash, you can give your body the vitamin C glow it's been wanting, the hydration boost it's been craving, and the active skincare ingredients it deserves. It's time for your body care era. New Dove Serum Body Wash. Get Dove or get FOMO. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, so you drop out of school at 15 to pursue comedy full time. That's a, a huge decision. But I guess, like you're saying, I mean, that passion's coming through. Maybe you know that this is the only thing that you want to do. How do your parents take that? They weren't pumped about it. Yeah, they were They were not <laughs> pleased. Yeah. Yeah, it was a tumultuous, it was a tumultuous time. But I hope since then I've kind of proven uh, that it was a, a good call. I don't really have a backup plan, so... Thank God it's working out. Yeah, I think it's best though. I think often the people that do make it are the ones that don't have a backup plan because they have no choice but for it to succeed. Yeah, I think that's probably true in a way. <laughs> Just yeah. one, one foot in front of the other and let's hope not yeah. to, uh, not for anything to go wrong. So how do you go from that to, to drop out? How do you go to making it a career? Um, well, I had been, I, I was really lucky I had... I had sort of, I think probably because of the novelty of my age, I had a, a lot of success early on. And then that went away and I moved to England when I was 
21 I think with uh, someone I was dating and then I just it's just a grind you just have to get up and do it I had you know I worked in call centers and I was a nanny for kids and um yeah and then slowly slowly uh because I, I hadn't had to have a day job in my teens because it was going well and then suddenly I was yeah in a new country and uh but I just I loved the Edinburgh Fringe and I met so many people and I just really immersed myself yeah I mean yeah. Edinburgh is I've only been once um and I'm going to try and go again next year because I think it is the most magical place in the world it's crazy I've never seen anything like that I know it's Hogwarts and it's full of comedians and people are up until 6 a.m every night and it's a really electric atmosphere yeah I definitely I learned a lot when you moved to London was that also because forgive me for my ignorance of the um Canadian scene was that because there was a, a particularly strong London comedy scene that you wanted to be involved with or was it just I'm dating this person and so uh no, no no it was well to be honest it was the latter it was I'm dating this person <laughs> and I and I have uh family here my grandma was was in London and my uncle and uh hadn't seen them in a in a long time so there were a lot of reasons and then once I got to London I realized how how massive I mean there's like 200 comedy clubs in in London alone and I think there's probably about eight in Toronto and it's there's sort of one scene in Toronto but in London there's all kinds of different pockets of uh sort of cliques and different styles of comedy so yeah it was it was amazing I was suddenly I could do two or three shows a night which I think London and New York are the only places you can do that and it was it was great so I, wow. I just got deep deep into it and and there's a theatricality to it and and it was in in line with my taste from growing up with a super British dad and um, loving British comedy. I loved that it, was, it wasn't that sort of old school aggressive stand-up all the time. There was a lot of silliness and character comedy and just all kinds, yeah. I think that's also what's so nice is, I mean, there's so many, com I'm so lucky to live in London and if you want to go to the Angel on a Friday night and you can get there early enough to get a seat, you can watch two comedy shows. The acts are always amazing, but also so varied and so different. And I think yeah. that's what feels really exciting. And it's also just a, a celebration of, of lots of different people, which feels really nice. Like it feels like a space where perhaps is more safe and um uh, more of a, a place to kind of explore and play. Yeah, absolutely. There's a kind of alternative comedy scene where that's the case. And then there's, there is a very clubby scene as well where that's less the case, but that's evolving as well. So, I mean, when I started in my teens, I mean, in what, like 2001? And oh my God, it was like, it was like being in a sort of cliched 80s movie about misogyny. It was like crazy, the atmosphere. And, um, it's so exciting to feel the shift that's happened in that time. And, it, you know, a comedy audience is like a little microcosm of society. And so you can really get a read on general public opinion and stuff. And uh, yeah. and things are definitely changing for the better. When you moved, so you're only 21. And I ask this because I have lots of friends who uh, aren't from the UK and moved here. And they said that something that they experienced when they moved to London was, even though it's incredibly busy, that it can feel quite like a lonely city. And I wondered if that was a similar experience to what you had. It definitely, it took me a while to find my social niche. There's a phenomenon that exists in England that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world, I think, which is called school friends, which I think it seems to me like, <laughs> people have their regular friends and then they have their school friends and it's like this impenetrable group. And so, uh, yeah, I'm making all these friends and then like 
New Year's Eve comes along, I'm like, what's everyone doing? And everyone's like, oh, sorry, it's just literally every year I just hang out with my school friends and we do it every year. We just get, we get an Airbnb and we just do it. And it's like, oh, okay. But how do I, I love your English accent so much. <laughs> <laughs> I want that all the time, just constantly <laughs> narrating my life. Yeah. But also I feel very seen in that moment. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In an uncomfortable way? Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's some hard truths that I'm going like, to have to unpick later. Literally just me, Phoebe, Annie, Charlie, Tash, Becca. It's <laughs> so intense. And I'm like, how do I penetrate this group? <laughs> I don't think you can. And I think that's so true. And I've never, ever thought of it like that. And then actually what I've seen is actually as I've got older, now there's also university friends. And you've right. got the oddballs that have primary school friends. Yes. And you think, come on. Come on, guys. Now you need to grow Make up. Make some room for the rest of us. Yeah, LA is very different in that sense because it's so many sort of transient people who are coming mm. you know from other cities and uh are desperate to connect <laughs> and um, yeah so it's 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 been super it's it's not bizarre here to meet someone in a coffee shop and go like i have a friend he just works at the clothing store at the bottom of my road and i kept going in there to buy t-shirts and then we were like should we hang out and we're really good friends now you know i feel like that's rare that that happens in london that is rare but that also warms my heart so much <laughs> that perhaps perhaps i need to extend extend an invite to my local retail yes, person. you have to you have to i think also it's a confidence thing i think british people in general wow okay here comes the sweeping statements but i think yeah. british people sometimes can be quite shy or af afraid of rejection yes. you don't want to put yourself out there because it would be humiliating if they said no thank you oh man there's a lot of i mean i, I and i would say most of my closest friends in england are sort of straight boys and uh man it's hard to be them like you can't you decide you're gonna ex wear a different like jacket and you go into the pub and all your friends are like oh new jacket well what's this like and just making humiliating you right away like everything is commented on and there's so much irony but i do i do love that i don't even think you need to be that self-deprecating because i think everyone around you is just slightly deprecating yes agreed agreed a lot of humility um when you write stand-up and also so can we talk a little bit about feel good for those who haven't seen what are you doing but <laughs> feel good as a uh, brief synopsis you play a fictionalized version of yourself yeah. and you meet george played by charlotte ritchie phenomenal charlotte the one ritchie. and only <laughs> the one oh, su such a lovely lovely presence on screen yeah just a national treasure. And, and a Radio Times favourite as well. Of course. She's always on the cover of, of Radio Times. Yeah. yeah. She's she's England's rose. Yeah. So in the in Feel Good, you guys start dating and then she learns that you're a former drug addict. And the series, although it's incredibly funny, is very tender and it kind of oscillates between moments where you're despairing and shrinking because uh, what your character is going through is incredibly tender. It's a it's a great exploration of queerness, but also of things like coming out and finding yourself and also addiction. Um, and I know that at various points, uh, you're writing about stuff that has hit close to home. Did that feel emotional or did it feel cathartic? Uh, both. I mean, yeah, I had never really acted before. I'd, I'd, I'd acted in kind of sketch comedy and little little bits here and there I'd, I'd pop up but um nothing dramatic like that and so I really 
I'm sort of glad I hadn't before because it meant I didn't know how intense it would be. So when I was writing it, I didn't hold back and I thought, yeah, that'll be fine. And then, yeah, coming to do it was very, very intense. And um, yeah, especially the stuff that was, you know, sort of emotional recall of things that had happened in the past. And yeah, I was very lucky to have people like Charlotte and amazing actors around me who were super helpful. And um, yeah, yeah, it was... It was intense, but but it was super rewarding for that reason. Is it difficult to draw on your own experiences? And I mean difficult in the sense of, is it in some ways empowering to take the story in a different direction? Yes, because life is not that tidy. And um, so to be able to take the, all the messiness of your own life and then kind of organize it into something that makes narrative sense and it has a really nice conclusion and a beginning, a middle and an end is very helpful yeah I, I found it extremely helpful and and helpful to be writing the other characters point of view and and putting yourself in the shoes of the people around you and what that must feel like it was all kind of therapeutic and uh but also very fictionalized and uh, you know if you're listening to this and you think god that sounds depressing it is a comedy it goes to those places though for sure but i think that's what i like about it is that you never know it can kind of turn on a dime from really ridiculous to um kind of harrowing <laughs> and it's one of those series as well which i think is really lovely is i'd heard about it through word of mouth through other people saying to me i've seen this series and i think you will love it your character is relatable in so many ways and i think it's just very honest about the fragility of of being a human being and also oh, thanks making mistakes yeah like we all do thanks yeah i think um i know initially when people started watching it they were like i, I wanted people to sort of villainize george a bit in the first few episodes the way my character does and then and then really by the end of the series you're fully team george and and my character is very flawed and being very self-absorbed and um so yeah i wanted it to flip-flop back and forth but i i um co-wrote it with my friend joe hampson who's a brilliant writer and um we had such a good time man we laughed so hard and and doing the second <laughs> series knowing the actors that you're writing for is so helpful because you start writing sort of in their their rhythm you know you released your young adult book can everyone please calm down a guide to 21st century sexuality and um in an interview you said in the past uh you said gender identity shouldn't be a bigger part of your life or what you have to talk about and yet because of this culture war perhaps it's unavoidable and i wondered again if if perhaps that's something that you're kind of shoehorned into talking about as i'm now doing yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it is unavoidable because it's um well particularly in the states right now where there's so i think 800 new bills or something this year of anti-trans legislation like it's i think there's a misconception that because there's tons of visibility there's um it, that means that there's more security and equality for trans people and that's often not the case often the visibility actually puts people under more threat and it's such a tiny population and there's so, so much hysteria around it and misinformation and people using it in bad faith you know to galvanize a sort of already fearful population i don't know anyway so it, yeah I, I annoyingly it is still kind of i think important to be comfortable chatting about but i would love to not chat about it one day because it's really the least interesting thing about me and um 
no bigger part of my identity or shouldn't be than anyone's gender you know yeah yeah but you know it's uh (laughs) it is still important i guess let's talk a little bit about your acting uh before we finish up i was recently watching the flight attendant oh man who appears (laughs) but me martin are you gonna dabble in it more is that somewhere you see your career going yeah i'd love to i mean so i'm writing a new series now uh, a new netflix series that's kind of a young adult um thriller and i'm excited to be in that it's very different to anything i've ever done and that will be daunting but i'm kind of a control freak so i do like to be in charge of what i'm saying and wearing and be in the edit and uh so i'm looking forward to that i find i find it tricky being another people's stuff but i would like to do more of it i love doing the flight attendant and i think if it's the right thing then that would be a blast yeah okay we're going to finish off with some quick fire christmas questions that's the best i love (laughs) a rap i love rapid fire questions honestly i have a notebook in my bag full of uh just rapid fire questions that i like to pull out on i'd pull it out on a date i pull it out just with pals i love a rapid fire question round okay what's give me three of your favorite rapid fire questions um tom hanks or tom cruise tom hanks interesting i'm cruise till i die um we were getting on so well i know i know an hour (laughs) uh dim sum or birthday cake dim sum yeah correct yeah absolutely um (laughs) what else uh narnia or neverland narnia yeah i think so too is that brilliant questions okay i'm gonna ask you my favorite okay. if you were a sandwich what sandwich would you be the first thing that came to my mind was like something my grandma used to make of just cucumber slices butter salt and pepper in a in white bread have you ever had that yes yeah like a cucumber, cucumber sandwich they i don't think they do that over here but yeah she would send that like if we had to go to the airport we'd have a little tin foil thing of cucumber sandwiches Oh, so delicious and divine. Okay, if there was a series of your life, what would the theme tune be? You can pick one available to us at at present, or you could make one up. The theme tune would be like, I mean, the first thing that came to my head was... But I don't know. It'd probably be sort of like an Enya, an Enya, who can say whether... And then I'd sort of slip on a banana peel and it, you know and then the show would start yeah okay, if you had a film of your life who would play the love of your life and do you mean okay so is this basically biggest celebrity crush is the question or is it like based on who the love of my life is i want to cast someone close to that interpret at, at your at your will oh that's really tricky uh that's really I always tricky. said mine would be David Tennant, but he doesn't look like anyone. No, he just looks like that himself. I've dated or, or yeah. that, um, he's not my big celebrity crush. I just think if there was a film of my life, that's that's who would play my romantic lead. Interesting. Well, it's tricky because I've made an autobiographical <laughs> show so of Charlotte. my life, and I cast Charlotte Ritchie, so I'm, I'll go Charlotte Ritchie. <laughs> okay. I'm going to ask you my Christmas ones. What's the worst present you've ever received? Memory foam mattress topper. It was just kind of, for some reason, it bummed me out. <laughs> I was just like... Yeah, because that's a practical gift. and Yeah, that's it. That's it. And and it's it's so presumptuous. What makes you think I'm not happy with my bed? I hate that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I know. it, And it's so big as well because, you know, it's rolled up, but it's still a big 
old box. So you're excited when you see it and then you, you unpack it and you're like, Oh, thank you. And be, you know, I'm very, I'm a people pleaser. So I'm like, wow, I could never have dreamed of something this magical. (laughs) Okay. What's the worst present you've ever given? Uh, I was dating someone who I, for some reason, gave them the nickname Derv and, uh, they found it repulsive and they didn't, I sort of thought it was a joke that we were having. Like they were like, Oh, don't call me Derv. And I loved calling her Derv. And, uh, I didn't realize that she really didn't like it. And for Christmas, I got her all these personalized things that said Derv. <laughs> like I got her like a, a Christmas stocking that said Derv and like a mug that said Derv. And she was like, I really hate Derv. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought she'd find it really charming. I wonder if she's kept any of those. I think she'd probably burn them. <laughs> to be honest, fair enough. Yeah. But you know what? What life lesson. Exactly. Um, if you were a Christmas film, which would you be? Um, I feel like the cool, sexy, goth thing is to be like Nightmare Before Christmas. But really, <laughs> the answer is probably Elf or something. Um, yeah. Or I think in the in the 90s, I'm a real 90s child and there were there were a series of films with Tim Allen called like The Santa Claus or something like that. Yeah. It would pro- probably end up being one of those with like that actress from ER who always played the mom and everything in the 90s. Maura Tierney. <laughs> yeah, very niche. niche. Yeah, Niche knowledge and I like it. Uh, favorite Christmas song? Uh-huh. I think I like the David Bowie, Bing Crosby duet of The Little Drummer Boy. I have no good. Yeah. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? There's a bit. Yeah. It's really, really great. On you, Go on YouTube and David Bowie. Is it Bowie or Bowie? Will we ever know? Will we? And uh, Bing Crosby. <laughs> is it Crosby or Crosby? <laughs> Will we ever know? Uh, and, they do a, <laughs> and they do a duet. That's amazing. I quickly want to redo my answer for the last one. You can still <laughs> use the answer I gave, but I know the correct answer now is In the Bleak Midwinter, the hymn. Um, yeah. Heartbreaker. And it makes you feel like you're walking. If anyone hasn't, I mean, maybe more people will listen to it in LA because they'll want to hear what you get up to at Christmas. But you're in for a treat if if you want to feel what it would be like to be a Victorian English child. See if you can see if you can find like the Cambridge Boys Choir or something in like and just these falsetto little voices. In the bleak, it's so heartbreaking. Do you know? Sometimes I'm in the shower and that song comes in my in my into my head. Really, and I think. Yes, because because it's still dark outside and I have to leave yeah. for work. And I always think, in the bleak midwinter. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Beautiful. So poetic. Yeah. Okay, mistletoe or Christmas tree? Christmas tree. The most essential part of the Christmas dinner is? The potatoes, come on. What kind? Roast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they've got to be goose fat. Sorry for all the vegetarians, but... You know, in my dream world, it's goose fat and they're fluffy on the inside, crispy on the outside. Actually, you know, a lot of the like M&S, like pre-prepared ones are really good. They make it pretty easy. Yeah, M&S, gift that keeps on giving. The part of Christmas dinner you'd rather avoid. Hmm. Oh, uh, the Christmas pudding. It's so grim, isn't it? It's it's like in, someone went, I'm going to put a bunch of sticks and dirt and rocks in a bag, bury it underground for 20 years dig it up dip it in some rubbing alcohol and then put a raisin on it that's how i feel i really don't like it's it it's so vile i know also, but people, I realize it's probably 
an awful sound for anyone at home to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> no, people, people love it, though. This is going to be divisive. Well, long may this division reign. Okay, <laughs> lastly, what's your New Year's resolution for 2024? Oh, you know what? I've, if I'm being very honest. I About a year and a half ago, I started... I, I smoked in my teens, quit smoking my whole 20s, and now I'm smoking one cigarette per day, which I can really justify in my mind. Like, it's just one cigarette. Come on. But I don't want to be doing that because I get in a bad mood if I don't have my one. I look forward to it the whole day. And that's not good. I don't need to be having one cigarette a day. But, you know, you got to pick your battles and your vices. And it's but it's time. It's time to let that one go. And then the the wish I always make at New Year's is that I wish for more hysterical laughter but that very specific type that you get when you're like 13 with your friends where you're <laughs> crying and you're like i'm never gonna stop laughing i'm gonna die laughing and <laughs> yes. it's so hard to get that as an adult and i really miss that like hysteric where everything that happens yeah. you just immediately look at your friends and are crying I, I so i want more of that in my life where your face hurts and your tummy hurts and it's actually becomes like slightly unenjoyable because- yes everything is aching yeah and kind of scary because you think this will never stop like i yeah especially in an environment where you're not supposed to laugh like a school assembly or a i'm I'm not at a lot of school assemblies anymore but it one it happens when filming actually that's it's it kind of only happens when you're not allowed to laugh so during feel good i got it a few times where i would it you know that awful feeling where everyone else has stopped laughing. The crew's not <laughs> laughing anymore. Charlotte's not laughing. Everybody's just wants to move on. And you're like, I don't, I can't hear that word. And without, yeah. Oh, so funny. It's the best. And you're right. It's, yeah. You're not supposed to be, but you can't help it. And it, and it makes it even funnier. Yeah. It's a form of madness. I love it. Well, May Martin, thank you so much for coming on the Radio Times podcast. Thank you for having me. This is the best. Thank you for listening to this Christmas episode of the Radio Times podcast. We'll be taking a short break over the holidays and returning on January the 2nd for our first episode of 2024. Our guest is the comedian and host of chart-topping podcast Off Menu, Ed Gamble. Remember, there are a wealth of podcast episodes in our archive for you to enjoy over the holidays. Why not listen to my chat with Harry Potter's Daniel Radcliffe? or national treasure David Tennant, or British actress Dave Ever Thompson. And if you want to know what to watch over the Christmas period, listen to our two-part bumper episodes of Smart TV, available 22nd and 29th of December. Thank you for listening to the Radio Times podcast with me, your host, Kellyanne Taylor. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please do follow, rate and review wherever you get your podcast from. It helps other TV and film lovers find us. Until next Tuesday, happy viewing. <laughs>